Good morning. What hardship are you facing? What hardship are you facing? Rejection? Jesus knows. Pain? Jesus knows. Death? Jesus knows. Friends and family who just don't understand you? Jesus knows. What hardship are you facing? One of the great truths of the Christian faith is that Jesus knows our suffering. He doesn't just know of it because he is omniscient. He has faced it. In Hebrews, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, brothers and sisters, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? In our passage this morning, we're going to see what Jesus went through for you. With that in mind, let me go first to prayer to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time, the gathering of your people for worship. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the prayer. Thank you for the times of singing. Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the shared stories of trials and victory that we can say amen to or that we can bow our heads and pray to you through. Thank you for the preaching and hearing of your word. Lord, you know what every heart that hears my voice right now is facing. Help them right now with confidence boldly approach your throne of grace. Lord, do for our hearts what only you can do. Give us eyes to see your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John and chapter 19. John 19, today we'll be in verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's reprinted on the back of the bulletin. We're making our way through the Gospel of John. We have a couple weeks left until we get to the Advent season, and then we'll pause, and then we'll pick back up in John next fall. Uh, But we will make it all the way to the crucifixion of Jesus. So it's Good Friday already, and we're almost at the cross. John 19, verses 1 through 7. These are the words of our Lord. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, 
I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. Oh, what Jesus has gone through for you and for me. It's the morning of Good Friday. Jesus has been kept up all night going through trial after trial with the Jewish leaders and now with the Roman leadership under the auspices of the Roman governor, Pilate. The discussion between Jesus and Pilate doesn't start here. It started in chapter 18. It's been going back and forth for a little bit. They're talking about whether or not Jesus is a king. They're asking questions about what the kingdom of Jesus is. Pilate wants to know what truth is. What's the nature of your kingdom? Why, and this is Pilate's biggest question, why do your own people want you dead so badly? Pilate wants to know. And now as we turn to John 19, we get this vivid description of how Jesus was treated by Pilate, the Roman governor, and his soldiers. And we need to just stare at Jesus, to look at him, to behold him in this passage. I've called the sermon title, Behold the Man. Look at verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So the soldiers had Jesus dressed up in a mocking king costume, a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and he said to the crowd, Look at this guy. Behold the man. So that's what we're going to do this morning in our text. We're going to behold Jesus, and we're going to see a glorious king who, as we sang about and read about, humbled himself for our good. This is the true king, King Jesus. We've got seven verses, and in each verse we're going to see a feature of the kingship, the kinghood of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is your king today, if you truly trust him as your Lord and Savior, if you've taken off your crown and confessed your sins and turned to him for salvation, then every one of these verses is true for you. Every aspect of Jesus' kingship he did for you. So verse 1, we have the flogged king, the flogged king. Jesus was flogged for you. Verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Well, Pilate was the Roman governor, and here the Roman governor can do whatever he wants with a prisoner. He can have him flogged, he can have him killed, he can have him freed, he can really do whatever he wants. Now, Pilate decides, I'm just going to have Jesus flogged. I think what Pilate was probably hoping is he wants to get through this little trial. He wants to wash his hands of this Jesus business, and he would love it if a quick beating in front of the crowd of Jesus is enough to get this situation off of his plate so he can go on with his day. 
We don't know for sure, but whatever his motivation was, Pilate has the sinless Son of God flogged. Flogging is a violent punishment. You basically tie someone to a wooden post and you whip their back. We don't know exactly the kind of weapon, but all of the weapons from antiquity that were used for floggings are horrible. So we don't even need to guess which one it was. We don't know how many times he was whipped, but it probably wasn't once. It was probably a lot. This would have been an R-rated act of violence. And it's notable that even as we read about flogging in the Scriptures, uh, there's nothing provocative about it. You don't get an R-rated description of the flogging or the skin tearing or whatever it might be. And we're at a time where it's Halloween season and all those Halloween movies come out. And it seems like the goal of these movies when you see a trailer for them is to get people to be disgusted by what they're seeing is to be provocative with the, the gore. And Scripture never does that. And as you think about what you let your eyes see in a season like this, be careful what you let your eyes see. Be careful whether or not you consume gore and, and violence for the entertainment. I mean, here we have a text where people were viewing gore and violence for their entertainment. And you don't want to be like them. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. In fact, you know, even thinking about this moment requires caution. I would be cautious with my kids as I was reading this with them. And so I'm so glad the Bible is so careful. It's never salacious when it talks about sexual things. It's never provocative when it talks about legal things. And it's never gory when it describes moments like this. The Bible knows we need to be delicate with things like this. And yet at the same time, it's here because we need to come to terms with the fact that Jesus was flogged for us. And he did it willingly. This was the path of the Messiah. Hundreds of years before this moment, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Pilate had Jesus flogged. Jesus was wounded beaten so badly that a little bit later in the story, he doesn't even have the physical strength to carry a wooden beam up a hill. He was R-ratingly wounded for our healing. Pilate probably thought it was entertaining. The soldiers almost definitely got a kick out of it. But little did they know they were fulfilling prophecy that the Son of God, the Messiah, would be viciously wounded so that we might be healed. Jesus was flogged for you. Behold the man. That's verse 1, the flogged king. Verse 2, the dressed up king. The dressed up king. Jesus was dressed up for you. Verse 2, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. 
So Pilate already decides, all right, let's have him whipped real quick. And after he's been whipped and beaten, then he brings him back in. And the soldiers think, let's do more damage. Uh, Let's find some thorns on the ground and make a fake crown because he's been saying he's the king or his people are saying he's the king. Let's take a crown of thorns and press it into his skull. And let's throw a purple robe on him and dress him up like a king. They wanted to cause great and increasing physical pain to Jesus with a literal crown of thorns. This is a literal crown of thorns. Be careful if you come up afterwards and you want to touch it. You can, but be careful because it's a real crown of thorns. This was pressed into his skull and a robe was put on him. The robe wouldn't have been physical pain. They wanted to cause physical pain, the whipping and the crown of thorns, but they wanted to cause emotional pain to Jesus too. They wanted to mock him. Look at this guy. Let's dress him up like a king. So now his head was scarred, and they wanted to insult him to let him know who was in charge. You know, this is a costume up here. It's a purple robe and a crown of thorns. And tomorrow, a lot of people in your neighborhood are going to dress up in costumes, and they're going to probably come to your door and ask for candy. Right? It's Halloween tomorrow. Uh, You know, I know that the cool thing is these gory costumes, but they're fake. How many of you know someone who literally would have a crown of thorns pressed into his head willingly for you because he loves you that much? He wore that costume willingly for you. He was dressed up for you. Behold the man. That's verse 2, the dressed up king. It goes on. What did Jesus go through for us? Verse 3, we see the mocked king. The mocked king. Jesus was mocked for you. So having dressed him up, verse 3. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So having dressed him up in a king costume and then punching him a few times, they mock him. Oh, look, the king. Hey, who does this guy think he is? This guy thinks he's a king. It would have sounded a lot like that. Look at him. Hail, king of the Jews. If only they knew that he was the true king. And one day, those soldiers' knees will bow and they will confess with their tongues that he's the king. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But they did it mockingly. And they said, Hail! Hail, King of the Jews! The word hail is actually the Greek word for rejoice. Like, uh, hey, let's give a warm round of applause for the King of the Jews. Or everybody make some noise. Look who's here. Look who it is. It's dripping with deep mockery. Jesus was mocked for you. Have you ever been mocked publicly? Maybe publicly on the internet or publicly in the schoolyard or publicly on a sporting field or publicly at a family get-together where you're the center of attention and everyone is laughing at you. Do you know how that feels? Even if the mockery of you isn't true, you know, you're still humiliated. You're still embarrassed. You're still... You feel hated. You feel small. And so here's Jesus who was about to die for sinners like everyone watching, and he is mocked by them. You know, people make fun of Jesus all the time still. 
People call Jesus a fairy tale. They say he was an intolerant teacher. They say he was a failed leader. They mocked him then and some hearts mock him today. And yet he was willingly mocked for you. Jesus was mocked for you. Behold the man. That's verse 3, the mocked king. How about verse 4, the innocent king? The innocent king in verse 4. Jesus was innocent for you. Verse 4, Pilate went out and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So remember the scene. If you're uh, new to the text, the the Jewish leaders had him up overnight through a series of uh, interviews and trials with the high priest and the former high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. And finally, they get through that and they bring him with some charges to the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate's like, I don't know, what am I supposed to do with him? And the Jewish leaders said, well, he did something wrong. And Pilate's going back and forth with them. And he says to them now, here he is. I, I, I find no guilt in him. Even Pilate knows Jesus does not deserve to be crucified. And more than once in the Gospel of John, we read about this, that Jesus truly was innocent. What did Jesus do for you and me? He lived a perfect life. He never lied. He never acted only in selfishness. He never sinfully envied what his neighbors had. He never returned hate for hate. He never swung back when someone swung at him. He took it and he didn't give it back. He loved, he forgave, he healed, he was patient, which is really hard. His whole life, he was sinless. Because you and I needed someone sinless to take our place on the cross. Because we're sinners. Because everyone else has sinned. Jesus went through his whole life innocent and sinless for you. And this is the message our neighbors need to hear at a time like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, any sinner who believes and trusts in Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was innocent for you. Behold the man. Well, that's verse 4. He was so many things for us. Verse 5, we see the humiliated king. The humiliated king. Jesus was humiliated for you. Verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now remember the charge from the Jewish leaders. He's claiming to be king. Pilate says, Are you a king? And Jesus says, I have a kingdom, but it's not like your kingdom, Pilate. And Pilate says, So you are a king, right? There's this back and forth about whether or not Jesus is claiming to be king. And be honest as you're reading this. You know what Pilate is doing. He's, he's laughing inside right? Hey, here's your king. I mean, he's not going, behold your king. I am as impressed with him as you. He's, he's laughing. He thinks this is pretty funny, that anyone in the crowd thinks that this beaten and bloody and silent and humble man with no weapons on him is actually a threat to their kingdom. Behold the man. 
You know, something else that's also probably going on here, Pilate had a sort of tense relationship with the Jewish leaders. Every once in a while, he likes to take a shot at them too. I think he's obviously mocking Jesus here, but I think Pilate is also probably taking a shot at the Jewish leaders. Like, seriously? This guy? You're afraid? He's a threat to you? I mean, come on. So he's poking fun at Jesus, and he's also probably poking some fun at the Jewish leaders. Everybody had a good laugh. The beaten and bloody and punched and mocked and humiliated Jesus is brought out on stage for everyone to have a good laugh at. Because really, this guy, Jesus, a king, you've got to be kidding them. Jesus was humiliated for you. Behold the man. Verse 6, the crucified king. The crucified king. Jesus was crucified for you. Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The crowd wanted him crucified. Pilate said, do it yourselves. Now, the trial isn't over yet. In next Sunday's sermon, we'll see the conclusion of the trial. But here we see Jesus willingly accept his fate. What do you want to do with him? Crucify him. What do you want to do with him? Crucify him. At any moment, Jesus could have opened his mouth and changed his situation. But he was going to be obedient to the Father out of love for the Father and love for you and me, and he was going to take everything this dark world threw at him all the way up to his crucifixion. So when they shouted, crucify him, Jesus knew he was about to be crucified for you. I mean, think about the irony and the contrast of this situation. Think about that scene. What have we read in the Gospel of John so far? There were thousands of hungry people, and Jesus miraculously fed the hungry, and the people say, kill him. Jesus had healed a man who couldn't walk, and the crowd says, kill him. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and the crowd says, Kill him. He welcomed children, all the children, for the kingdom of heaven is for these. And they say, kill him. He elevated the social status of women and treated them with dignity like nobody ever before. And the crowd says, kill him. He never threatened anyone with a sword. And the crowd says, kill him. And when anyone did anything to him, and when anyone sinned, he offered forgiveness. I'll forgive you. And the crowd said, kill him. And after all that, he still went to the cross and was crucified for sinners. Jesus was crucified for you. Behold the man. One verse left. Verse 7. He was the Son of God 
king, the son of God king. Jesus was the son of God for you. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So the Jewish leaders realize now that the claim of kingship really isn't going to get it across the finish line with the Roman governor, Pilate. And so Pilate's like, you guys got to crucify him yourself. And the Jews know that only the Romans are allowed to do the crucifixion. So the Jews' last-ditch effort is to say to Pilate, okay, it's a theological issue. He has to die, Pilate, and you're the only one who can kill him. And so they explain to him that there's this rule. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die— because he's made himself the son of God. That's a powerful phrase. It's a powerful phrase from the Old Testament. It's also a powerful phrase in Roman history. Uh, The Caesars would call themselves the son of God at the time. So this really was a threat, not only to Pilate, hey, he's got to die. We're going to kill him, but you're only one allowed to kill him. So you don't want an execution not under your control, right, Pilate? And also, uh, Caesar might be really mad if this son of God takes that same claim as Caesar is taking for himself. You don't want that kind of competition. And Pilate is going to really struggle with this in next week's passage. So first of all, we need to ask, do the Jews have a law like that? The one they're claiming is there. Well, probably, probably. Uh, Leviticus 24, Leviticus 24, verse 16 is close enough for all of the things Jesus claimed about himself and then that were claimed about him. Leviticus 24, 16, I'll read it. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So the idea among the Jewish leaders is, if you claim to be God, that breaks this rule. If you claim to be the actual son and offspring of God, that breaks this rule. If you claim to have the actual power of God or the actual authority of God. Remember, the prophets never claimed the authority, but they said, I speak on behalf of God. They weren't claiming to be God or to have the actual authority of God. Any of those things would have been breaking that law. So they're right. Anyone who claimed to be the Son of God, which Jesus did, would be breaking that law, and you would be guilty and deserve death, unless it was true unless it was true. And that is what we have here. The man who got on the cross, who was mocked and beaten and humiliated and crucified for you and me, was not just any old man. He was the Son of God. He claimed to be. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He is the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man. And he came as God to represent God to man, but he took on human flesh to represent man to God. He was the perfect mediator. We needed someone to bridge the gap between a sinless God and sinful humanity, and we got the Son of God, to be our king and to die in our place. How can we be made right with God? Only through Jesus. And Jesus didn't just take on human flesh for a time like a costume. 
He forever forward is a human, fully God and fully human. He took on human flesh so that forever forward we have a perfect mediator between God and us. What can wash away our sins? Not our own blood, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, tomorrow is a holiday and people are going to be dressing up. And no, you can't borrow that crown of thorns to wear tomorrow. Don't ask. But tomorrow is a much more important holiday. It's Reformation Day. Reformation Day. Uh, famously known for the time when Martin Luther in 1517, on October 31st, 1517, uh, whether or not he actually did, that's the story, is that he nailed his 95 theses to the uh, church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And it is the thing that historians say began the Protestant Reformation. And one of the most important things about the Reformation was that at the time the church was getting Jesus wrong. They had mixed in history with Jesus. They had mixed in um, the different views of how we get to God. Who can mediate between God and man? And how much does history have to play into that uh, situation? And so the legacy of the Protestant Reformation is that five major errors were corrected. At the time, uh, the dominant strand of Christianity was the Roman Catholic Church, and Martin Luther, on October 31st, nailed those to the wall, and he had problems with how the church viewed how we understood Jesus. Very briefly, the five things that were corrected were sola scriptura, the five solas, right? Scripture alone. Our only authority in this life is going to be God's Word, not Popes, not priests, not people, but God's word alone. And when we look at Jesus and when we behold Jesus this week, tomorrow, make sure your view of Jesus comes straight out of God's word, Scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. This was one of the most important ones. We understood at the time, how do you get right with God? Well, there was the church and there were the priests and then they were selling these indulgences, basically saying that you can have some of your sins forgiven or stricken from your record and you won't be in purgatory as long if you pay a certain fee. And, and that made something other than Jesus Christ the mediator between God and man. But we claim in Christ alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. How do we acquire salvation? Is it by our effort or is it a free gift of grace? Grace alone is what we claim. And then faith alone, sola fide. How do we become justified before God? Is it doing enough good works to be right in the sight of a holy God or is it through faith alone, which itself is a gift? Faith alone. Martin Luther helped correct that error. And finally, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Nobody else should get the glory for what Jesus has done. Not the church, not Mary, not saints, not angels, not prophets, not writers, not anyone but Jesus Christ should get the glory for what was done. And so tomorrow on Reformation Day, when you worship Jesus, and you try to behold him in your mind and in your heart in light of this passage, remember what happened at the Protestant Reformation. 
In Christ alone was resuscitated. Jesus Christ alone, the God-man, the Son of God, took our place. All of his sinlessness, all of his joy, all of his hope, all of his obedience to the Father is given to us. All of our sins, all of our shame, all of our failure, all of our wickedness, all of our envy, all of our lust, all of our drunkenness, all of our slander, all of our self-centeredness was thrown on him and nailed to the cross with him In Christ alone we are saved. He took our place. And they dressed him up on the way to the cross. So when you see somebody in your neighborhood dressed up tomorrow, remember that Jesus was dressed up like a king and he died in your place to set you free. This week, let's behold the man, Jesus. The Gospel of John was written for us to come to know Jesus. And no matter what you're facing, you have back pain? Jesus had back pain. You're rejected by friends or family? Jesus was rejected by friends and family. You're betrayed by someone who you thought you could trust? Jesus understands. You're falsely tried and accused of something you're innocent of? Jesus understands. You're mocked publicly on social media or on the bus or in the schoolyard or on the playground? Jesus understands. He went through all of that for you. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus was flogged for you. Behold the man. Jesus was dressed up for you. Behold the man. Jesus was mocked for you. Behold the man. Jesus was innocent for you. Behold the man. Jesus was humiliated for you. Behold the man. Jesus was crucified for you. Behold the man. And Jesus was the Son of God who took your place on the cross for you. Behold the man. As the prophet Isaiah had predicted, it happened. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we deserved everything Jesus faced on Good Friday. He was flogged. He was mocked. He was dressed up. He was humiliated. He was treated like a sinner. He was treated like a criminal. He was treated like a rebel. And you sent him through all of that so that by his wounds we might be healed. Lord, bring your healing into our lives today as our faith grows in our Savior Jesus Christ. Help us behold him this week so that we can face the trials of our life with his strength. And help us remember that even though they dressed him up like a fake king, he is seated on his throne now in power and glory, and he is our risen king today. And help us have strength for our day 
this week because Jesus is our risen King. Worthy is the Lamb, your Son and our Savior Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.